0: If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you the rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast and everything you need is all in one place. And here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup's like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify, with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish a video podcast to Spotify. Spotify. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Today's episode is presented by Clark's. Clark's story began almost 200 years ago when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. At the time, it was groundbreaking, a combination of invention and craftsmanship that remained at the heart of what Clark's does. From the very beginning, Clarks has always thought differently. Brilliant ideals have what set Clarks apart. We are teaming up with Clarks and Podgo to bring you 30% off select items, including the iconic Clarks desert boot. So to take advantage of this great deal, go to podgo.co forward slash Clarks. That's P-O-D-G-O period C-O forward slash C-L-A-R-K-S.
1: I hate Kentucky, curse the place, and all her vile and miscreant race, who make religion's sacred tie, a mask through which they cheat and lie. Proteus could not change his shape, nor Jupiter commit a rape. With half the ease these villains can send prayers to God and cheat their man. I hate all the judges here of late, and every lawyer in the state. Each quack that is called physician, and all blockades in commission, worse than baptist roaring rant i hate the presbyterian cant their parsons elders nay the whole and wish them gone with all my soul
0: the south is full of history extraordinary tales of questionable characters outlaws heroes and thought provoking narratives passed down from generation to generation like grandma's recipes these real life stories and exaggerations of fiction have helped shape the south and have created larger than life accounts of legend each week we will uncover fun facts of historical events interesting places famous people and everything in between from all around the south subscribe now on spotify apple podcast amazon music youtube or your favorite podcast listening app to listen to the show for free. So grab your sweet tea, fried green tomatoes, and pull up a chair as we uncover little-known facts about the Uncommon History of the South. Welcome back to Uncommon History of the South. Harold, we're about to start Season 2, Episode 1, but before we get into the podcast, let's catch up a little bit. How's the build going on the car?
2: Well, it's going great. Uh, We are ready to go to Sandblast, and we've been driving it, and we're getting the lights wired up and getting to go to upholstery, and hopefully in a couple months we'll be done. The weather will be warm, and me and Miss Janie will be, I'll be driving Miss Janie. How about that?
0: Sounds good. Um, did you go to a show this past weekend?
2: Yes, I did. Dalton, Georgia, um, had a great show. Got to meet some neat people. Had a good time and uh, had a safe time. It, they did the show very well, very safely, and uh, it was a it was a wonderful show. What kind of show was it? A Civil War show. the Dalton Civil War show put on by Mike Kent.
0: So, what He's goes on at these shows?
2: Well, it's about seven or eight hundred tables. Um, people there from all over the United States, even though we had some guys there from Russia, Germany, um, all over, and uh, it's, a, it's a mostly Civil War show, uh, people buy and sell and Civil War artifacts and all kinds of things, and then there's those that are there with, uh, that have interest in World War II and military history in general, just mm. pretty much everything.
0: All right, so let's get into our first episode. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Thomas Johnson, Jr., the drunken poet of Danville, and tonight we have a very special guest with us. We have our very own Drunken Poet of Danville,
1: Logan H. Gurman.
0: Logan, <laughs> welcome back to the welcome to the podcast,
1: gentlemen. I want to thank you all for having me down here to your Parable Studios. I'm most appreciative.
2: <laughs> well, you're glad to have you, Logan. Have you ever been accused to be the Drunken Poet of Danville before? Not yet. Not yet.
1: Uh, and it was my understanding there would be bourbon whiskey.
2: There is. Okay, all right. Okay. Well. <laughs> <There is.
1: laughs>
2: so, Harold, where you want to start out tonight? Well, you know, uh, this is a story of, it's it's in the pioneer era, era, excuse me, of Kentucky. Now, Danville, Kentucky, for those of you who are not native to the state of Kentucky or know this area very well, um, is right in about the center of the state. Um, It's about 30 miles, 35 miles south of Lexington. A lot of people know where Lexington is. Um, It is... uh, uh, a beautiful little town. It's one of the oldest towns in Kentucky, and we're going to talk a little bit about more about its history here in a minute. But um, it is bordered by um, a couple of creeks called Wilson's Creek and Clark's Run, which was named after some early pioneer people that were first here. And uh, it sits in a beautiful place. A lot of people may know it from Center College. Uh, Center College is a very well-known one of the best small colleges in America. And uh, it is a, uh, it's a beautiful town. It was voted one of the most beautiful towns of Kentucky. I think Bardstown was number one, and Danville was number two. We really wanted to be number one, but we just couldn't quite get there this time. Maybe next time. Maybe next year. Yes. So, uh, Brian, what I wanted to do is kind of get our listeners into the pioneer era uh, as much as I can, paint a picture of what this area was like in pioneer times. Um, it, it's really hard for me, and I've studied this stuff all my life, and I love pioneer history. Uh, when I was a little boy, uh, Daniel Boone was my hero growing up, and, you know, I, I, always imagined going into a wilderness, and I've been camping and canoeing and done a lot of things growing up, and, and, but to go into an area that is, uh, with huge amounts of virgin timber, beautiful, clean water streams, abundance of animals, um, it's hard for us to fathom. It's just hard for us to imagine what this was like. We can go out west and find some remote areas like in Wyoming and other states, and they have, you know, vast areas of wilderness, but it's not the same as here in Kentucky because Kentucky was a, a, a lot flatter, very rich soil, uh, limestone soil. So Kentucky was, is not, it's just hard for us to comprehend what that looked like
0: you know as so i often drive 68 or other highways going through our county i wonder what it looked like back in the pioneer times when kentucky was first being settled or even you know of course we we have the original courthouse and the or the original jail at um at the park there in town and different things, so the tavern, but, you know, what did it really look like? What was what were the people like? Yeah, that often crosses my mind when, when I'm there in Constitution Square.
2: Yeah, you know, vast cane breaks that a man could, if the Indians got after him, he could run into the cane and hide. You know, the cane was so thick you could run into it, run around, and they couldn't find you. I mean, that's it's just hard for us to comprehend. Daniel Boone did it many times. That's what one of his things was he tried to be somewhere in the vicinity of cane. And they were, va- and I know that when I was growing up, there was a cane break behind our house on a farm, and it was just a little corner of this farm. But I got a little taste of what a real cane break looked like, and how thick that stuff grows. And of course, that's what the Indians made all their arrows out of, you know, and they use other usefulness things. But anyway, let's get back to pioneer times. The there was three guys that came into central Kentucky pretty early, and. Uh, with James Herod, who founded Herodsburg, Kentucky, which is a few miles north of Danville. But Thomas Herod, his brother, John Crow, and James Brown, they came into this area and liked this spot that we call today Danville. They liked the water, they liked the springs that were there, they liked the lay of the land, and they thought it would be a good place to live. Now, uh, Thomas Herod, now this is always subject to This is one writer, okay, his opinion. They think he was the first guy to actually build a structure in Danville. And back then, you would put up a a cabin or a a shelter, plant a crop, and you could claim the land, you know, make a long story short, have what's called a preemption. So Thomas Herod, we think, was the first guy to do that. Now, where he did it is interesting. Because if you come to Center College today and you look up on that hill and you see that old center building, the oldest building on the campus, right? we think it was right there. Hmm. Now, what's really interesting is, and we've all driven by this that live here and are native here, we've driven by this many, many times. But there's at the bottom of that hill, there's a real low place there, and there's a spring. Hmm. And that is why he was choosing that spot. It drained well. It had a good water source. It was probably some very fertile land. See that's one of the key things about this part of the state is some really good farmland. Now, early early Kentucky, this was the first county we were actually Mercer County. We weren't right. we were Boyle County today. At that time we were Mercer County.
0: Now was Boyle, Mercer and Lincoln were we part of Lincoln as well or just Boyle and Mercer? No,
2: I think we broke off from Mercer. Okay. I think Mercer and Lincoln and maybe Fayette was the first three counties. I can't remember, but anyway, we, we now there was a, (laughs) that's quite a story, maybe we'll do a podcast about how Boyle County became Boyle County, but it was a, it was somewhat of a political move in 1840 is when Boyle County, I think 40, 41, when it broke off from Mercer County, and we'll get into that later, maybe that's another podcast, but Clark's Run runs to our south, which is Goodwater, source, and then Wilson's Creek, now those creeks were named after some early pioneer people, and Clark's run is not George Rogers Clark like I thought all my life. <laughs> yeah. It was George Clark, not George Rogers Clark. George Clark came in early and built a r- big stone house at the intersection of the uh, Lancaster Stanford Road. Now, that house is still partially standing, okay? And, really? and I believe, um, I can't think of the name of the company, but there's a company bought that land and is building a new distillery and i've noticed they are they have done some temporary propping up of the stone structure that was falling in and i'm hoping that they're going to save that because that's one of the earliest houses in danville
0: that would be a piece of history lost right. if they.
2: Then wilson's creek wilson station which is out on highway 34 just a few miles out of danville it's still standing and it's a big stone structure as well and it's uh It's a residence; people live in it. And I had a friend that lived in it for several years, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful old house, great old place. A lot of the earliest houses in this area were stone; they throw up a log house until they could do better. Yeah. And then, then they most of them would wanted stone because, why? It's hard to blow down
1: in the event the big bad wolf shows up
2: and Indians. Well, at that time, you know, for from the 1770s till. Probably eighteen ten, maybe even later. There was still Indian hostilities, so you couldn't burn it so easy. You couldn't shoot an arrow through it. You couldn't punch a chinking out and shoot somebody through it. And it was it was permanent. And so that's they they built a lot of stone houses. And, it, so and they it. would build them up around the existing log cabin in some cases too. Exactly, yeah. and tie them onto them. And sometimes yeah. the log cabin became the kitchen, and then you know then. The house was finished, and they would move into the main house and keep the log cabin as the, as the kitchen. But, you know, if you, if you think about these early stations that were around Danville, you know, they were, they were just structures that were tied in sometimes with uh, logs that would make a pen almost, and that would keep the people safe inside of it. They, it gave them a shelter to go to in case they were attacked. And, and they were spaced out pretty well, to cover the whole area, and they all were in communication with one another. This, this was primitive conditions, but they weren't necessarily primitive people. These people are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. They had they had a plan, you know. Well, they I mean, it was operating. the
0: technology of the time exactly. which was being utilized, right?
2: Well, they were. That was temporary housing in a sense for them. They didn't intend to live like that from that on. You know, that was a lot of them um, had to do that until they could do better. Because they, so forth. Anyway, some of the early stations around Danville uh, William Fields, James Wilson, John Reed Station. Of course, we mentioned George Clark's house, Fisher's Station. There was Irving and Coel's and Harlan's and Cowan Station. So there were several of these, quote, outposts around Danville that helped make Danville safe for those that chose to live in the town because they were the buffer for whatever, especially during the Revolutionary War. They were the buffer. You okay. know, so they could get it, it, made it easier for the people in town to be safe knowing that there was people out there that would warn them or alarm them in event of an Indian attack. Um, Kentucky in 1783 was, uh, was established as a county. Uh, 1784, John Crow conveyed to Walker Daniel a tract of land. Now, Logan, have you ever heard all of your life that Danville was named after Walker Daniel? That's always
1: the story that I, I, I was told or learned in Kentucky history class.
2: Well, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Obviously. It does it to me. But what's strange is, if you look at the town plot, the town plat, excuse me, not plot, the town plat of Danville, it was actually named Danville before Walker Daniel bought the land from John Crow.
0: Hmm.
2: Now, another interesting thing about that is, is Walker Daniel only had the land for about two months before he was killed by the Indians? Now I could see posthumously they would name the town after him because actually he was going to Bullet's Lick where his brother was, and uh, he was actually going there to meet with some other people about business about Danville, what's now Danville. Okay. So he went there to get some salt, meet with his brother, but he also was on a quote official business in a sense, and a guy who was with him said he was. You know, they were just attacked, no warning, and it just swooped out on them. They, had, they, couldn't, they didn't hardly look up. Bullets was flying at them. Um, and two or three were killed that day as well. But anyway, so he was killed by the Indians, so we don't really know for sure how Danville got its name. And I want, I want to think that that's the case, but it doesn't seem like anybody really knows for sure. But uh, anyway, that's a good story anyway. Um, there were several notable families in Danville. And this is gonna tie into Thomas Johnson here in a few minutes when we start reading his portrait. Willis Green, who was a, a clerk for the district court early in Kentucky, who later was the grandfather of Wallace Green, who came to Perryville, who was active in civic activities there. Dr. David Rice, who was a Presbyterian minister uh, at the Old First, the first church in Danville, first Presbyterian church, John Crow, as we've already mentioned, Abram Irvin. Um, Robert Cowell, Thomas Allen, the McDowells, you know, Dr. Ephraim McDowell that performed the first successful oviotomy, you know, surgery. Um, it's his family, Samuel McDowell, some of those, Thomas Speed, Thomas Barbie, Thomas Todd, several notable people here in early Danville. Um, now, move on just a little bit. We had about four taverns in Danville at the same time. Okay. Logan, what do you think of when you think of a tavern?
1: Uh, I, I would assume it's where the, the folks in town gather, and it's where pe- people coming through town or to visit town would gather, have, have a meal and, and have a pint of ale, I'm guessing, something along those lines. Right. May, did it get a little rowdy in these taverns way back when? Oh, I wouldn't think so. No, well. no, not, not in Danville. <laughs> no, maybe in Harrisburg I'd say or they were or a hotbed of political discussion <laughs> of the time,
0: too, so, yeah. I'd
2: say there was nothing but trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I can't say that either. I really don't know. Uh, obviously, any time you mix alcohol sometime, if it's done in excess, obviously those things can happen. But uh, the first tavern was Grayson's Tavern, Benjamin Grayson. Now, that's where the political club met. We're going to talk about that again in a minute, but that's where the first. Did he have a name? Grayson's Tavern.
0: Oh, no, the political club.
2: It was the Danville political club. Oh, the,
0: okay. Yep. I didn't know if they had another
2: name. And the political club of Danville. I guess now, is, it,
1: is Grayson's Tavern still existing down in Constitution Square? There's a, there's a historical yes. marker there.
2: Yes. Well, we don't know for sure. That building that's there I always thought was. But in Fackler's book, A History of Danville, he didn't know for sure if that building was actually the original building or the guy that bought that building it either burned or he rebuilt it, but it's really of that period. Okay. Now, I, what I would like to know is if there's some historians out there or people that study architecture could look at that building and say, is that set up as a house or is that possibly set up as a tavern? Because it, that that may tell us more than sometimes we just have no way of knowing if a structure was there originally or something burned, which has happened a lot, and they rebuilt it in that period. So we just don't know.
0: Would the taverns taverns in that period have rooms like above, upstairs for rent for travelers as I'm well? I'm sure
2: they did, yes. Uh, yeah, that was done for years because there weren't any other places for people to stay. I mean, stay. there wasn't a motel. Yes. Now, um, then there was Thomas Barbie. Actually, he had two. He owned two. At one time, he owned Grayson's and another one. So he was big in the taverns. And then there was Erasmus Gill. <laughs> We're going to hear about him later. But now here's an interesting story about Erasmus Gill's Tavern. There was a lady, uh, Batterton, that lived there in Danville. And for years, she had in her front yard a scale model built of Gill's Tavern. Hmm. And it was a two-log two trot cabin with a breezeway between it. And that's how it was described as being built. Now, where was it? We think that it was where, or close to where, the Catholic Church is on Main Street today, St. Peter Paul Catholic Church. There's a Burke's Bakery. Right beside Burke's Bakery, another well known place in our area. And uh, it's set in her, in her yard for years, and then she passed away, and next thing you know, it just disappears, and we don't know where it's at today if it even exists. But then the last one was Clemens Tavern, and that's set at Main and 4th Street, and was run by a guy named Jeremiah Clemens, which is a common Danville name. And a sign, I over, not know, a sign of the black horse, big black horse.
1: Mm, what did that mean? I don't know. I, I, I think it, going back to English history, they would hang you know, the, the, the Black Horse Tavern when people couldn't read Black Horse Tavern, they would, they would look at the picture.
0: So they used symbolism so they would know.
1: Right. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. That would make uh, sense. Now, they were cousins to John Clemens, who was Mark Twain's father. Really? That interesting, Yeah, now Mark Twain's mother, you know, is from down in Columbia, Kentucky, my I, wife's hometown. I didn't know that. Oh, yes, yes. She uh, lives there. The house is still standing. So it's a well-known house in that area. But, yeah, her, his roots are definitely, his parents' roots are definitely in Kentucky, for sure. Now, let's talk a little bit about the political club of Danville. Now, a lot of people get the political club of Danville and the Anaconda Club, Danville Literary Club, mixed up. And I did too for a long time because I thought it was all the same, but it's not. Uh, the political club in Danville was founded about 1787 by, um, uh, well, it was founded in a house uh, by, uh, uh, what was his name? I think it was Thomas Barbie, I think it was when the first meetings were held. And then they moved it to the tavern, uh, Grayson's Tavern, and they had their meetings there. Now, um, that political club, we think of that today as kind of cliquish, and I'm sure it was. We think of it maybe as being um, a certain group of guys deciding what the rest of the world's going to do in that area. But really, that was almost necessary at that time, because they didn't even hardly have a public meeting house. So political club was made up of the, quote, smartest and most educated and intelligent men of the area and they would get together and discuss issues that involved their community. And at that time, they were numerous because they were just being, becoming a town. They were just becoming a community. So the political club in, in, had, had done a, a really good job of helping, I think, lay the foundation for what we now know as, as a constitution for the state of Kentucky.
0: So they were very influential in the development of Kentucky as a state.
2: Not only Danville, but I think Kentucky is a state, yes.
1: Well, if they were started in 1787 and the state was became a state in, what, 1792, mm-hmm. and it, the Constitution was written here in Danville, I, I would assume that these guys were right there in the major, thick of things. Major players.
2: Yeah. Yes, sir, major players. Now, there was another society, a Kentucky Society for – of uh, promoting useful knowledge that was formed in Lexington, Kentucky.
0: And that's kind of what our podcast is. We, <laughs> oh, we is pro- it? We promote useful is knowledge. Is this useful?
2: Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I guess It'll it be is. on whatever a test whatever, somewhere. Whatever you say, Brian. <laughs> All right. 1787 to 1788 is when it was founded. Now, what's ironic is there were a lot of members of the Danville Club that belonged to the Lexington Club. And the common tie there was Transylvania University. See, Transy was founded in Danville, Kentucky. And it wasn't there very long. And then they moved it to Lexington, which I can't remember the reasons. Do you know what? No, I it, it was
1: it was, – wasn't it founded right there kind of off Bellas Mill Road? Yeah, it's it was out south of the railroad road. tracks. Yeah, yeah it's it on the through. southern railroad. Yeah, off Bellas Mill, that area. Faulkner Station Faulkner, kind of. yeah, Station. Faulkner Station,
2: yes, Faulkner Station. So I don't I don't know the story of, enough to tell our listeners, but but Transy was first started in Danville. Now – Let's talk about this political club. They got together and decided, uh, no, not the p- club now, but a bunch of the members got guided and thought it would be a great idea to open a cotton factory in Danville. So they, 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 they sold shares in this, in this company. <laughs> and I don't know where they were planning on getting their cotton, but <laughs> they decided that a cotton factory was a, was a tremendous idea.
0: Well, wasn't hemp, more prevalent in this area than later. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
2: See, we ain't got there yet. Okay. It's later. But what what I don't understand is is there were some people in Danville that had tried experimented with growing cotton in this region, and I guess the sand, soil's not right. The temperature may be too cold. I don't know all the reasons, but they never had any success growing here. But anyway, they thought this. You know, it's probably like a couple hundred miles, maybe two or three hundred miles before you can get into cotton south of us. Yeah. Probably to, to so how are you going to get it here upstream? I don't know, but anyway, see this is useful information. We know oh, yeah, yeah.
0: if <laughs> somebody comes to us wants to buy shares in a cotton factory, in we Danville, say, "Oh no, no I don't no, think that's a great idea."
2: See, yeah, see. so but, so they and of course the thing was a huge failure, but the building stayed on there. I think it turned into a store later anyway. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about the Danville Literary and Social Club, which you are a member, Logan. I can neither confirm nor deny, but. Okay, <clears throat> t- tell us a little bit about and the this. History.
0: Is the Anaconda Club?
1: The, the, there's the Danville Literary and Social Club that is commonly referred to as the Anaconda Club, and it has been in continuous existence since 1839, I believe. It continued to meet all through the Civil War, uh, and it, they talked about literary topics, and they often often covered political topics too. The, one of my favorite topics. Um, They've, they've kept pretty good records of, of, of what they talked about. But one of the my favorite topics was, ought church pews be free? Should you be able to walk in and sit in any pew in the church you want, or did you need to have your name on it and paid for it?
2: <laughs> well, now, that did happen. But Right, yeah, that, that was, was a that, real debate at the time. Oh, yeah, and it may still be happening, I don't know. <laughs> you have a certain pew and you pay for it, right? right. You put your name on it. Yep. And... Nobody sits so it's pew, but you.
0: Well, you know, there's some Sunday services you go to that they didn't pay for the pew, but you don't you don't sit in their spot.
1: That's right. So. Yep. <laughs> but how did that how did that get its name? My understanding is that this w- this was a, a, a closed membership club, and it's and they had some political influence of some sort. I don't know how much way back when, uh, but there was a state legislator on the floor of the in, in Frankfurt who referred to the club that they would meet and talk and gorge themselves on food and drink until they were stuffed like anacondas and the club was so insulted they took the name to heart and kept it ever since <laughs> so, <laughs> so he seems was like my house he on given christmas
2: he was a teetotaler, i'm sure i think that was that may have been of one the of the debates way. too yeah he was a teetoddler so we're going to move on now to our main subject, who was Thomas Johnson Jr. Now, the
0: drunken poet, the of drunken Danville.
2: poet of Devil. I wonder how many of our listeners know who in the world he this guy is. I wonder if there's, I mean, there's just very, very few people. Uh, I stumbled into him years ago, and I was fascinated by it. And then I started reading his poetry, and I got more fascinated by him. What a character! Oh. I mean, he, he, who could produce? This personality, I don't know. And this wit and this... this
0: And, you know, his poems were written in satire, and they were risque for the time. Very. For for the the language he uses. I mean, today nobody would even blink an eye about it other than a chuckle. But uh, it's amazing, um, you know, the way he communicated. He had to be an educated man.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, it brings up a lot of questions. We'll get into all that, too. We're going to read some of his poems, you all. And... uh, but he was born in Virginia. Uh, the information I have says so about seventeen sixty. He came to Danville at se- in about seventeen eighty five. So he's about twenty five years old. Now I don't know what he did for a living. Uh, he's been described as a poet, a punster, a near do well, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, how did he make a living? I don't know. Now his first book, of pub- by the way, his book called Kentucky Miscellany was published in Lexington, Kentucky in 1796. Now, this, we pretty much sure, this, this is the first book of poetry ever published in Kentucky. And uh, it had, like, four printings, which is really a lot of printings for an early book. Yeah. Okay? Especially a book as risque as <laughs> his. Uh, he uh, There are no copies to, in existence of the first three editions. And I think the Filson Club in Louisville has a copy of the 18. There was one published, 1796, a second edition, 1815, and one soon after that, we think about 1817 or 18, and then a fourth edition that was published in 18 and 21. And there's only one or two copies of that 1821 edition that exist. I'm talking about it's original state. Now, I have one that's been, you know, just a copy of that, which is right. just modern. Done by uh, the uh, UK Library, I think, did it. But um, he had he, he had a a really sharp wit, and a, he was very soured on <laughs> his <laughs> his town and the people. <laughs> and, and so uh, his most noted poem is called "Imperator Grace," and it was written at we talked about. Erasmus Gills Tavern, Gills Tavern in Danville, and that was the first poem that he published, uh, or one of the first poems he published. I'm sorry, it's the one that people recognize him most. And uh, Logan, would you like to read that one? You're going to have to
1: hand me the copy of it. Can you hit pause for a second?
0: Hey, we'll just go ahead through it. That's fine. We'll, okay, we'll,
1: I, I may need to read it a couple of okay,
2: times. Here's the new well,
1: I'll tell you what, now, I appreciate you all having me, because Danville has kind of a history of poets. There's there's this guy, and then we've got two nationally recognized okay. poet poets, Frank X. Walker and uh, Morris Manning, who are from here, who contemporary poets, who publish and are, are well-known, so it's interesting that our poet poetic legacy goes back literally hundreds of years, and, and you all could have gotten somebody famous like Steve Zahn, a professional act- actor to come in here and d- read these dramatically. and I appreciate you trusting me enough to <clears throat> do this. So
2: okay, so we're going to hear uh, Ipator Grace by Thomas Johnson Jr.
1: O thou who bless the loaves and fishes, look down upon these empty dishes. By the same power those dishes fill, bless each of us and curse old Gil.
2: <laughs> what happened there was he went into the tavern late one night, probably a little inebriated, and there wasn't any food left. So he was, decided to write a poem about it.
1: He said grace over the empty dishes served to him
2: by his dear friend Gil. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he also had a sweetheart. Uh, Polly. Now, I don't know if they ever, I don't think they ever married or, we don't know. There's so much we don't know about Thomas Johnson Jr. It's, it's just, we don't hardly anything about him other than his poems. Um, he, uh, there was an article in the Lexington Intelligencer in 1834 was a plea for the preservation of his book. Because of some of the racy poems that he had in that book, and even by today's standards, I think you would even consider him racy. Uh, they they still wanted his work preserved, okay, and him remembered for his satire, and they did. So pretty much the Western uh, press kind of wanted to do away with him, and they he survived. You know, old Gil survived. And and, you, you know, know.
0: And he he was going upstream against what. I guess, the common community wanted or was going along with the times. You know, he, he was the opposed to everything.
2: Yeah, there was some poems that he wrote of... Uh, let's, t- let's find the one about Danville here. Uh, Logan, if you don't mind, read the one of, on Danville. And this gives you a little bit of attitude about his thoughts of Danville.
1: A Danville, vile, detested spot Where knaves inhabit and fools resort. Thy roguish cunning and thy deep design would shame a blackbeard or Algerine. Oh, may they! Oh, may thy fatal day be ever cursed when blind, when by blind air led I entered first. <laughs> <laughs> would you like me to read that one again? No, that's fine. You're, you're
2: fine. <laughs> it is. It's kind of hard to read that print, but uh, yeah, he had a. You know, it was he. It was. You wonder what his. Was he really that sire on his town, or he was just his satirical way of making light of it? Maybe he was just venting, but bless his heart, if he didn't like the place that much, you'd think he could move on. Well, but yeah, I would move. And, and he, would you like to read one about Kentucky? I hate Kentucky, curse the
1: place, and all her vile, miscreant race, who make religion's sacred tie a mask through which they cheat and lie, Proteus could not change his shape, nor Jupiter commit a rape. With half the ease these villains can, send prayers to God and cheat their man. I hate all the judges here of late, and every lawyer in the state, every quack that is called physician, and all blockades in commission. Worse than Baptist roaring rant, I hate the Presbyterian cant, their parsons, elders, nay the whole, and wish them gone with all my soul."
0: <laughs> he, he he doesn't uh, just go lightly. He just comes right out. And says and what all, he
1: really thinks. I wonder what he thinks what of the Methodists. He I don't know. Back. <laughs> 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 or the Baptist <laughs> you know. yeah.
2: And I, I wonder what brought this <laughs> vile out of him. I just wa- I would love to know. Uh, poor drunken Tom. He he uh, he's buried. He wrote a poem about his own grave. Yes. Now, this is this is really interesting. So he, he wrote his own epitaph. Yes. Is he buried here?
1: Yes. Is, is this actually on his tomb? We don't know. We can't find it. I've looked for it. I, it, it, it there's not going to be much of a tombstone left all these years left, later. You
2: but wouldn't think. But now, of course, there's some stones in the Danville Cemetery that date to this time. But, uh, you know, we don't know if he died a pauper. Some says that he died a pauper. And, and you know... <laughs> I can imagine with his attitude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hard, hard to find a job. I mean, yeah, I would think so. Did he have a hard time finding pallbearers? <laughs> so I he know they probably had to pay him. Yeah. Say. But I don't know. Uh, we Again, it, it's just such a mystery. But if you'd like to read that, uh, his own epitaph that he wrote.
1: Before dying, obviously, he wrote his own epitaph. Yes. Underneath this marble tomb in endless shades lies drunken Tom. Here safely moored, dead as a log... Who got his death by drinking grog? By whiskey grog, grog he lost his breath. Who would not die so sweet a death?
2: <laughs> <laughs> who in the world would write their own epitaph? I, I, I guess he came by it? the
1: name Drunk Tom, pretty honestly, if if that if oh, that's I'm his curious, own epitaph.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was. Another thing, he, he, and we probably won't have time to get into all those poems that he did about the political people of the time, but anybody that's, uh, that's listening to our podcast that would, uh, you would, would want to find his book, I think you'd, good luck, uh, Kentucky, uh, let me look at this, University of Kentucky Libraries uh, republished this some years ago, I've had it a long time. and. Uh, it is, a, it is a hard little book to find, but if you're interested in him, I'm sure there's a way to find that. Uh, a Books or one of the book search sites, you could find it. But it's a it's a fascinating read for those that like, especially early Kentucky history and early Kentucky liter- literature.
0: Well, Logan, thank you for taking time to be part of our podcast. We appreciate, uh, we, you know, we did an episode with you last season, and we appreciate you taking the time to come do one with us this year.
1: Well, it is... Members of the Danville Boyle County Podcasting Association, it's always nice to be with you, gentlemen. Uh, I enjoy your work, and I, I listen. I was actually on my way down here this evening. I was listening to it in the
2: car, and you guys are doing great work, so keep keep it up. Well, thank you. Uh, we enjoy it, and it's it's a it's a very rewarding thing for us. These are stories that we think that deserve the public's attention. You know, we've they lost need the to be passed down to they the need stories, to be you know, maintained and We just want to hopefully go a little bit to promote that and entertain people.
0: All right, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Uncommon History. To find out more about the podcast and keep up with what we're doing, follow us on Uncommon History of the South on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Make sure you subscribe for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, or your favorite podcast listening app. We'll see you next week.